Good morning, Life Point family. It is so good to see you. Well, I can't actually see you, but it's so good to be with you this morning. Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem with shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. People waving palm branches. You know, we have those palm branches still today that are right here. Just everyone lift one up in the air. Let's wave it high as we welcome the presence of God into our homes and into wherever we might be watching this morning as we celebrate His triumphal entry as we enter Passion Week. Well, I've been in a series entitled Sprint to the Tomb, and uh, so we're just making our way to the tomb. We're making our way to Resurrection Sunday and just celebrating and magnifying the name of Jesus, which is above every name. So I want to continue in our series today. And um, last week we left off where John and Peter were standing in an empty tomb. We're in John chapter 20, by the way. They're standing in an empty tomb. And both are looking at the articles of clothing that have been left in the tomb. But only one of them understands what they're looking at. Uh, if you recall, there were three different Greek uh, words for the word Saul, or to describe the word Saul. For Peter, it was the Greek word theoret, which we get the word theater from. And so he's studying intently. He's looking at the articles of clothing there in the tomb, and he's just wondering. He doesn't get it yet. He's just wondering what he's looking at. And then John, two different words to describe what John saw. The first one is he noticed, he's looking at it as he was standing outside of the tomb. And then the second word in the Greek for him was idon. And that word simply means to understand, to see with understanding or comprehension. And so now John is looking, he's in the tomb, he's looking at the articles of clothing or the cloth and the strips that have been left, and he gets it. He understands. He now realizes, it just clicks with him, that he is risen. He's risen from the dead. So what did John see to cause him to believe. Well, first of all, we need to understand how Jews buried their dead. You know, when a person died, they buried them uh, with strips of cloth and a gooey substance made of alloys and spices. If you recall, Mark gives the account where both Marys were going to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus with these uh, alloys and spices. And so what they would do is they would take each limb and they would individually take these strips encased with the gooey substance that would harden almost like a jelly, and they would wrap each leg, they would wrap each arm, they would wrap the entire body, and then they would take a cloth and they would cover the face. Uh, it was a separate cloth, but they took that cloth and they would cover the person's face. Uh, you got a picture of this in your Bible uh, when Lazarus was raised from the dead. When 
Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. The Bible said that Lazarus came forth bound, hand and foot, in his grave clothes. And the cloth had covered his face. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. So the resurrection of Lazarus tells us how the Jews buried their dead. And so Peter and John are standing and they're looking at this and they saw the linen clothes or cloths on the ground. The more accurate translation says that they saw the linen clothes there in their folds, undisturbed, not torn apart, not in a pile scattered all over the tomb, but simply lying there in a fold, undisturbed and collapsed. If you and I would have been in the tomb at the moment of the resurrection, what we we would not have seen a struggle. That would not be a resurrection. That would be a resuscitation. In other words, Jesus wasn't struggling to try to get out of these cloths, to try to tear himself away from the cloth. And the reason that I bring this up is because there are or there were those who tried to contradict the story of the resurrection. And they they said it really wasn't a resurrection, that Jesus didn't really die. And it's called the swoon theory. And, uh, you know, to me, it's easier to believe the resurrection than it is to believe the swoon theory. Here's the swoon theory went something like this, that Jesus bled so much on the cross that he had lost so much blood that he had passed out. And they thought that he was dead. And so when they took him down off the cross and they placed him in the tomb, the dampness from the tomb revived him. I know that's that's hard to believe, but that's what some of them were telling. That's what some were saying. And if you even think about that, uh, where would Jesus have even had the strength to uh, untangle himself, to get himself uh, out of those grave clothes, let alone roll the stone away and move the stone out of the way. And so if that were the case, we would have saw the bandages scattered everywhere. Um, If the swoon theory was right, you would see stuff all over the tomb. Uh, It's also evident to me that the other theory is someone came and stole the body of Jesus. That's what Mary thought, by the way. And this, the cloth lying there disputes that theory because, you know, if someone was going to come and steal the body of Jesus, they would not take the time to unwrap him in the tomb and leave the clothes undisturbed, by the way, lying in the tomb. They would have taken him somewhere else and they would have done all of that later. So here's what here's what would happen. If you and I would have been in the tomb, this is what it would have looked like. It would have almost looked like a flat tire. In other words, the body of Jesus was there and he just ascended or he just came out without a struggle, without a fight. He just came out of of it, of the unwrapping. He just kind of came out of it, and the the clothes were just kind of just still lying there, undisturbed. 
they had given way and they had collapsed. They were just perfect, perfectly lying on the ground in the tomb. That's what John saw. John saw the linen cloths undisturbed, almost in the form and the shape of the body, just kind of flattened there on the hard ground. And the Bible said when John saw that, he believed. He knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. I also want you to notice something. I want you to notice verse 7, because verse 7 tells us this, that when Jesus came out of that linen burial suit, he took the time to fold the headpiece. Some translations call it the napkin. He took the time to fold the napkin or the headpiece and lay it on the ground in the tomb. You know, this is a perfect opportunity for me to, to just uh, interject this for all of you who have clothes scattered all over your bedroom right now to maybe follow the pattern of Jesus and fold your clothes and make sure that they're put up nice and neat. That was free. It didn't cost you anything. Just wanted to let you know that. Maybe you could even tell your kids, Jesus folded his clothes. You can go to your room and fold your clothes as well. And so John noticed that the, the cloth that covered the face of Jesus had been folded and left there in the tomb. Some of you are aware of this. Some of you uh, maybe not, but there um, was a tradition and um, it was a custom that when a person would come over to your house, if you invited a person in the Jewish culture over to your home and you invited them over for a meal, that if they felt like they were treated fairly, hospitable, if you were hospitable to them, and they enjoyed your company and they enjoyed the meal and um, that they were treated favorably, what they would do is they would take the napkin after the meal, they would fold it up and they would put it on the plate. And that said to the host that, thank you, I enjoyed our company, I enjoyed our time together, I enjoyed the meal, and I'll, I'll be back. I'm coming back. And so when John saw that, John knew the culture. John knew the message within the folding of the napkin. And what that told John and what it tells us today is that Jesus said, I'm coming back. I'll be back. I thought about that for a moment, and I thought about the last meal that Jesus had was with his disciples. The last dinner that Jesus had was with his disciples. And so it's kind of like the last meal that he had. Then he separated, crucified, resurrected on the third day, puts the cloth there, letting the disciples know that I'm coming back, just like I said I would, that I've risen from the dead and I will be back. Only this time when I come back, I'm not coming as a babe lying in a manger. The next time that I come back on this earth, it will be to receive my bride unto myself, and I'm coming back as the King of kings 
and the Lord of Lords. I think that's a good time right there to maybe put our hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Maybe do that on the screen right now. Send that message. Let's give Jesus praise right now because he is coming back. Now, I want you to notice something. The Bible says in verse number 10, John and Peter, the Bible said that they returned to their homes. It's interesting to me that they left Mary weeping and standing by the tomb, and they just take off. And each of them returned to their home. By the way, we'll pick up Mary's account of this next week, so you don't want to miss it. Uh, the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus to Mary. You want to be back for that as we celebrate Easter together. But the Bible said that they went back to their homes. And I thought about that for a moment. And I thought about how ironic it is that we have been asked to stay in our homes. As a matter of fact, uh, as we look forward to next week and as we look forward to Easter, it's the first time in my lifetime that I will not be in a physical church building celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the first time that I won't be in 25, 26 years. It's the first time I won't be preaching uh, from a platform to a live audience. And so let's think about this for a moment. Peter and John see the resurrection, and the first place that they go is they go home. That Easter morning, Peter and John, after this revelation, they go home and they're within or with their families. I don't know, but maybe God is just wanting us this Easter to gather around in the living room, the family room, to gather around in our homes, to focus on our families, and to focus on Him this Easter. And um, I think that's the message that He's saying to us today. I think the message that He's telling you and I today is, we need to make sure that our families know the resurrection story. That before we go out, excuse me, into the highways and the hedges to compel others to come in, we need to make sure that the people that are, that are in our homes, our family, know about the resurrection of Jesus. To know what He did for us on Calvary. And also to let them know that he is coming back again. You know, the first institution ordained by God was the family. You go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, and the first institution that God establishes on the earth is the family. So family is important to God. Family, obviously, matters to God. He gave us the structure of the family. He gives us the, uh, the uh, not only the structure, but the order of the family. And I think one of the things that God is doing during this crisis is I think that God is giving us an opportunity to get our homes in order. And I know that many of us 
have been doing that physically. There are many projects that are going on right now. That honey-do list, some of the things are being crossed off of that honey-do list. There are projects that are taking place. People are painting, people are cleaning, and people are rearranging things. You know, projects are taking place in your homes right now. But let me ask you this question. What about spiritual projects? What about spiritual cleaning? What about spiritual rearranging and making sure that we put God first and foremost in our lives and in our families? You know, I received a message from my mother a couple of weeks ago, and she was up early in the morning and she was praying, and um, she was just calling out to God and just uh, asking God's hand of favor and blessing and protection to be upon our nation and be upon our families. And she felt like the Lord impressed this upon her heart. And I've shared it on my Facebook page. And I just want to share it with you today. And um, this is what she shared with me. And it says this, it says, it seems as though that God has sent us to our rooms. And um, it seems as though God wants us or God wants our attention right now. And as a family, God wants us to have meals together. You know, for the first time in a long time, a lot of people are sitting down around the dinner table, not on the run, not going here and there, not running the kids here to this program or that program, but sitting down and actually having a meal together. As a matter of fact, we've kind of designated Wednesday night for that. It's, it's, you know, we had pizza with the pastor. Uh, this past week we had, we had uh, tacos and teaching. This next Wednesday we're going to talk about grilling out. So get your favorite food that you like to grill out. We're going to do that on this next Wednesday coming up, and I'll have some more information as we get closer to that. But it seems as though, you know, people are spending time together. We're having meals together. Uh, I've, I've noticed in my neighborhood, families are taking walks together. And um, this is some of the things that God spoke to my mother about. You know, it's time to talk to our children. It's time to play with our kids again. Instead of putting a device in their hands and sending them off to their rooms, it's time that we spend some quality time with our children again. Uh, it's time that we check on our parents. How are you doing? That we check in on them. Time that we check in on our friends and our neighbors. You know, some of you have shared with me that you have elderly neighbors and you've taken the time to just check on them to make sure they're okay. You know, can I can I help you with something? Is there anything that you need? Can I go to the store for you? You know, taking care of the elderly, taking care of our family, taking care of our friends. You know, we've now been forced to honor the Sabbath. And uh, that's not a bad thing. That in and of itself is a whole nother teaching that maybe we'll get into. But now we're honoring the Sabbath. We're sharing. I've noticed that people are posting and people are talking about, if you need anything, let me know what I'll have. I can share with you. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's family. That's community. You know? And um, somewhat... It's caused us to slow down. It's caused us to refocus, to recalculate, to reestablish the order in our home. You know, as I said earlier, the family is the first 
institution that was established by God. It is a divine institution. And the family ideally provides a safe, nurturing, transformative environment for each of us. It's in God's plan within the circle of the family that we are cared for, that we are loved for, and that we are protected. You know, I was recently reading that research shows us today that God's original intent for the family is still the perfect model for humans. Recent studies show that increased time spent enjoying family. Now listen to this. Increased time spent enjoying family can add years to your life. I know some of you homeschoolers right now are thinking, you know, you've been thinking, man, this thing is going to kill me. I'm not used to this. I I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, but you know what the Bible said that are the researchers showing us that spending quality time with our family is not taking years off of our life, but rather it's adding years to our life. Wow. Well, God talked about that, and I'll share that with you in a minute. God spoke to that to us thousands and thousands of years ago. Research has also indicated that quality family relationships, rather than money, rather than material things, contributes to our overall lifelong happiness. Can I tell you right now, it's not the things that we get for one another that we're going to remember. It's the moments that we spent with one another that we're going to remember. Because the latest gadget is going to break sometime. The clothes are going to fade away. The material things are going to be insignificant. But the memories, the time that we spent together will last a lifetime for us. And so remember, Peter and John go directly to their homes. I don't know what happens in their home. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I, I, can, almost, I can almost be assured that they, are, they were sharing with their family what they had just witnessed and the fact that Jesus had risen from the grave. And so long before research told us God established these principles in His Word. I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 through 9 with me. And God gave this to Moses to instruct the people of Israel. And this is what He says. Verse 5 says this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your, stro- uh, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be in your hearts. Watch verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Verse 8 says, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them uh, on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses, and on your gates. Notice, notice it starts with the heart. We all need 
that spiritual heart transplant. We were born with a corrupt heart. We were born sinners. And so transformation begins in the heart, not the head. Religion tries to transform the head and not the heart. Christianity is what transforms the heart and the head will follow. Because when our hearts are right, our heads will follow. What happens in our heart affects what happens in our head. And so when the heart is right, when your spirit is redeemed, you'll be led by the spirit of God, not the soul, not our soul, which consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions. In other words, we're not going to be led by our feelings. We're not going to be driven by our emotions. It's not going to be our will, but we'll have those Gethsemane experiences where we cry out, not my will, Lord, but your will be done in my life and your will be done in my family. And so we'll have those moments through the transformed heart. When this gets in our heart, that we will follow the will of God. And the will of God simply is the Word of God. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, it's in His Word. Get His Word in your heart, and you'll follow the will of God for your life. And then he says this. He says, I want you to take. He's talking to parents. Now listen to me, mom and dad. He said, I want you to take what's in your heart, and I want you to communicate that to your children. I want you to impress upon them. In other words, I want you to make an impression upon their spiritual well-being, an imprint on their spirit. Teach them my precepts. Teach them my word. He said, I want you to impress your family with the things that I've taught you. Put that impression, communicate that to them. And so what he's saying is, he says, when you get up, when you lie down, when you go throughout the day, when you sit down, when you walk throughout the day or take walks like we're seeing people do right now, he said, look for opportunities for teaching moments. Take these times to share moments with your children, to share moments with your family about the goodness of God, about the grace of God about the mercy of God. Share your own story. Share what God is doing in your heart. Share what God has impressed upon your heart. Share that with your family. This is scriptural. This is what God tells us to do, that, that we are to train up our children in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from the ways and the things that we teach them. Listen to me. Listen to me. If we don't take the time to teach our children. If we don't spend time with our children, someone else will. The music industry will. Hollywood will. Humanistic uh, mentalities will. Secularist will. If we don't take time to spend with our family and share what's on our heart and impress the things of God upon them, someone else will take that opportunity. And we want to be able to put God's Word in them. You have to understand that our homes are under attack. And maybe, maybe God has brought us back to a place this Easter. 
Maybe God has brought us back to a place where everything has been shut down so that we can secure our families, so that we can reunite and regroup as a family. He says, you need to build your house on the word of God. Jesus said, every house will be tested. The wind is going to come. The rain is going to come. Floods are going to come. These are different tests and trials that come to our homes. And he says, the house that is built upon the rock, which is him, which is the word of God, this house will be able to withstand any storm that comes our way. Moses said, write the word on the door frames of your homes. He said, write them on the gates of your homes. What does that mean? That we literally go out and take a pen or take a marker and write God's word? No, that's not really what he's telling us. But what he is saying to us is this. We have to make sure that we're building a spiritual house. We have to make sure that we are securing the entry points of our homes. And so this is what it looks like for you and I. Doors and gates are entry points. These are places of access into our homes. And he says you have to make sure that you are spiritually securing the entry points of your home and spiritually securing the entry points of yourself. So be careful what you allow to enter your gates. That's what he's saying. Be careful what you allow to enter into your life and what you allow to enter into your home. For us, one would be the ear gate. What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? What are you hearing? Is it edifying? Is it uplifting? Is it magnifying? Is it glorifying God? So you have to guard that ear gate. And then we have the eye gate. What are you watching? What are you permitting in your homes right now? I know this may sound a little bit old school, but the scripture teaches us that we are to secure our homes. These are, the, these are places that should be a safe haven for our children and for our families. These are places that should provide a place of spiritual growth and development. So we have to guard our eye, our, our, we have to guard our eye gates. What are you looking at? What are our kids watching? What are our kids listening to? Do we know? What are they looking at? And then the mouth gate. What are you saying? How are you speaking? Are you building up or are you tearing down? We do that with our words. Are we magnifying? Or are we just picking apart everything? We have to guard and protect the spiritual entry points, gates, doors in our homes. So here's what I'm asking, and I believe God's asking us this, that it's time to do a spiritual cleaning. And we need to ask ourselves if what I'm, what I'm, if what I'm listening to, what I'm watching, are these things edifying? Are these things glorifying? If not, then we need to evict these things from our homes. We need to get rid of it. I'm not saying that you go out and throw your TV away. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you watch what you watch. Can I get an amen right now? 
Like I said, it may sound a little bit old school, but God wants us to do a spiritual house cleaning right now. Second, I'm going to ask you to do this. After this message, and we're almost done, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to gather around as a family, maybe right after this message, but sometime today, I'm going to ask you to gather around as a family. And I want you to talk about maybe this message, or at least talk about the resurrection. I want you to make sure that your children know about Jesus. I want you to make sure your spouse knows about Jesus. And I believe this, if you're, if you're a little bit fearful or timid to do that right now, I believe God's going to give you a boldness and an opportunity to share right now. You have a captivated audience right now. And God's going to give you that opportunity to do so. And I believe God's given us the opportunity to share with one another what's going on in our homes, to, to talk about the goodness of God and the, the good things of God and the grace and the mercy of God. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to do that. And then if there's somebody in your home that maybe doesn't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to lead them through the sinner's prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer in a moment. You don't need, but you don't need a preacher to do that. You don't need a teacher to do that. Every believer can lead another person to Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to do that because here's, here's why I'm asking you to do that. I feel as though the Holy Spirit is placed upon my heart that we are going to witness household salvations, revival in our homes. It dawned on me this week that revival is not going to start in the church. Revival is going to start in our homes. And when revival starts in our homes, it will transfer to our churches and to our communities. But right now, it's going to start in our homes, and it's going to start with our families. And so I'm asking you to do the work of an evangelist. I want you to make sure that the people in your home are ready for heaven. Because here's what I know. Let's, let's wrap this up. Here's what I know. The napkin is still folded. It's still folded. And this is what Jesus is say, saying to us, and it's in his word, that I'm coming back. And I believe he's coming back very soon. As a matter of fact, next Wednesday, next Wednesday, I'm going to do a teaching. You want to join us on Wednesday with me, 6.30, next Wednesday. I'm going to do, uh, this upcoming Wednesday, I should say, I'm going to do a teaching on, is this the end? You want to be there. You want to hear that message. Is this the end? That's Wednesday at 6.30. We're going to talk about that. Because we don't know. We may not get another opportunity to meet together. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get to assemble again. I hope that we do. But if not, if Jesus comes, then we win. We win. But what I want you to do is I want you to take this moment and I want you to make sure that the Lamb of God is shared in your home. You know, the night that the death angel passed over Egypt, all the Hebrews were to take the Lamb, and they were to slay the Lamb, and they were to apply the blood upon the doorpost of their homes. And then the Bible said that they were to boil the Lamb. They were to ingest the Lamb. I'm going to talk about that on Good Friday as we do communion together. 
But what I'm asking you to do is make sure that everyone in your home is covered with the blood and your home is covered by the blood and that everyone in your home has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That the Lord is good. That's all I'm asking you to do. Let's take some time today, this evening, but sometime, let's take some time, just like I believe Peter and John did, to talk about the resurrection. Just like God instructed Moses to instruct the people of Israel, take teaching moments to share with your family. And let's watch and see what God will do in our homes. As a matter of fact, if you're watching me right now and you're maybe drifting and far from the Lord, maybe you've drifted away from Him and you're not serving Him like you used to and you want to recommit your heart to Him, or maybe you're watching us for the very first time and you want to recommit your life or give your heart to Jesus, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Just bow your head and pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart, to wash me of my sins. I believe in my heart that you came to this earth. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose on the third day. And I believe that you're coming back very soon. And I want to be ready. So right now, Lord, I ask you to wash me and to cleanse me. And I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. I want to thank you for forgiving me, for cleansing me, and for, and for redeeming me. I thank you and I praise you. It's in your mighty name. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen and amen. Listen to me. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go to our website, lpcmentor.com. There's a link that you can click on to to share with us that you just gave your heart to the Lord. That's lpcmentor.com. And we're going to pray with you. We're going to be able to uh, get some material in your hands that's going to help you. But let us know that you gave your heart to the Lord. Well, once again, I want to thank you for joining us today. I look forward to being with you very, very soon. But until then, let's stay connected. Let's keep in touch with one another. There's an announcement coming right after this. God bless you. We'll see you right here at The Point next week.